It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. What do Edmonton, Montreal, and Ottawa all have in common? You're going to find out in this episode of Third Down Gamble. Hello, everybody. Glad you're back with us. Don Charbon, Pat Mooney, and Heath Graham are here to guide you through week seven of the Canadian Football League and then look forward to week eight in a crazy, crazy CFL where if you're on our pool tracker page, you'll know that trying to figure out who's going to win and lose is like throwing spaghetti into the wind and hoping it doesn't hit you in the face. Uh, it's hard to predict. Week starts off with what everybody thought was going to be Bo Levi Mitchell's coming out party after putting up a great second half against the Edmonton Elks. He goes into Hamilton, a full house in Hamilton to watch the game. And David Watford, first start ever in the Canadian Football League, although he's been around for a while, Saskatchewan then Hamilton, leads the Ticats to a 23-17 to win. Watford, for what he did, 19 of 22 for 149, but he also rushed for 10 carries, 35 yards. But the other thing that I think really hurt the Stampeders, turnovers. Absolutely, that hurt the Stampeders, but David Watford completing 86.4% of his passes, that's pretty impressive for a fellow in his first start. So Calgary struggled, and to see Bo Levi not do as well as we were expecting uh, was unexpected. One of the things that impressed me with David Watford is he didn't do anything to put the team in jeopardy. Often when you've got a quarterback with their first start, it can go one of two ways. Either they're a bundle of nerves out there and they're trying to force things and they make mistakes and throw interceptions. Or you've got somebody like David Watford and, you know, hats off to the Tiger Cats coaching staff as well. They called a good game for him. He got very comfortable. The defense... When you're playing on the other side of the ball with somebody like that, I think it can inspire the defense to great things. They're, they're thinking, this guy's not going to give the game away, so let's do what we have to do to get the win. And I think it was a really solid team effort for the Tiger Cats that pulled that one off. If you look strictly at the numbers, Watford doesn't even go for 150 yards on all those completions. That wouldn't scare many defenses, but a big pick six by the Tiger Cats and a fumble where the ball was totally misplayed by Richard Leonard bouncing off his face mask really I think hurt the Stampeders. It did and we talked about on last week's show we were expecting a lot bigger things from Bo Levi Mitchell. I certainly was Um, and he came out and kind of has looked mediocre in the last couple of games to be honest. 57% of his passes complete 170 yards and an interception so and if you look at those numbers, he had one really long pass that went for 74 yards. And beyond that, it was pretty pedestrian. And you can argue that Jake Meyer, who came in and went nine for nine, uh, you know, it's it's late in the game, so he's there. But Jake Meyer right now continues to impress when he's been on the field. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I mean, we've said before, it's Bo Levi's team. We were talking last week about how he may instill a little bit more fear than Jake Meyer, but watching Jake Meyer's stats, I think teams are going to be taking notice. Luther Hakuna Bananu was key on two different plays. He had the big 74-yard reception, but he was also the guy that was coming over the middle that tipped the ball up into Simone Lawrence's hands, and that ball was picked and went in for a score. Jake Meyer comes in 
in the fourth quarter late, goes nine for nine, leads the Stampeders down the field to score a touchdown. You could say that the Stamps caught the Ticats in garbage time, and that's why his stats looked a little better. Question, in my mind, and maybe in some Stampeder fans' minds, with Bo going 16 of 28 and 170 yards, that's not his type of game. And it really starts to beg of the question, what is the disconnect? Is it still physical with him? Or is there something missing in that offense? I do wonder if it is physical. He, you know, he came back early off the six-game injured reserve list, and, and he certainly hasn't played up to the regular Bo Levi standard. Now, having said that, we, we spoke earlier in the year about he doesn't have the players that are go-to players like they've had in the past in Calgary. There's a number of players who've done well on any given day, but certainly Kamar Jordan's the one that, that stands out, but he's not like Eric Rogers was. Fair enough, but... Let's not forget that Jake Mayer has thrown for over 300 yards in every game that he's started for Calgary this year. Is Jake Mayer better at spreading the ball around and getting completions than Bo Levi is at this point? I, I don't have a solid answer to that, but we've seen Josh Huff become kind of a go-to receiver for Jake Mayer. Kamar Jordan has had a couple of great games as well. And uh, maybe, you know, that fresh look that Jake Mayer brings is what Calgary needs right now. It's, it's tough to to bench a quarterback of Bo Levi Mitchell's caliber and what he's done in his career in Calgary year after year after year. But I'm kind of leaning towards the same thing Pat was alluding to, that that leg injury might be a bit more severe than we know, and maybe they did rush him back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think Mayer needs another look. I think he's earned it. Kamar Jordan went out at halftime in that game against Hamilton. That was a huge weapon gone for the Stampeders on offense. It was interesting watching the game that the Stampeders could never get any momentum going. They had the one big play and that was it. It just seemed like nothing else would be going right. The Tiger Cats, for what they did, they controlled the ball, they moved the ball a little bit, but they really capitalized. They got points off turnovers, which was just huge in this football game. It was a difference in the game, truthfully. It was that interception touchdown by Simone Lawrence was the turning point in that game for sure and gave the Tiger Cats what they needed to win. And Hamilton's defense has been one of the dominant defenses, certainly in in the East for sure. Winnipeg is obviously, I think, the best in the league at without question, but Hamilton stepped up when they needed to. Their defense did come to play and, and going back to what was said earlier, uh, you know, when Watford's able to control the ball and not lose it, that, that pays dividends. And in this case, it got them the win. Well, you kind of get the feeling that Tommy Condell had him on a very, very, very limited playlist. We'll see if that changes this week when they play Ottawa. 19 completions, 149 yards. Uh, We go to the late game on Friday night. The Toronto Argonauts are in Saskatchewan to take on the Rough Riders. Rough Riders win 30-16. to Nick Arbuckle, quarterback for the Argonauts, 22 of 33. He goes for 309 with three more completions than what Watford had had. It tells you the emphasis is quite a bit different in these circumstances. Uh, two touchdowns, one pick. Key turning points in this game, uh, an overthrow to Devaris Daniels, who was wide open down the field, and the goal line stand by the Rough Riders, Micah Tights was a huge factor in two of those plays on the goal line. 
Micah Tice had an outstanding game, and the Saskatchewan defense, I think, in some cases, were lucky. As you allude, the play at the goal line, that was a, a true turning point. When they had them stopped and took a penalty on uh, the hit on the quarterback and then proceed to march all the way down the field, they had momentum. That stop on the third down kind of seemed to stop some momentum, and they just couldn't seem to connect on those passes. There were a number of overthrows or, or drop balls for Arbuckle. Had they connected with a few more, it could be a very different game. We thought this would be very close coming in. And unfortunately, at the end, it really wasn't that close because of those drop balls. The biggest thing for me on that goal line stand was some poor play calling by the Argonauts as well. Mm-hmm. Running from the shotgun up the middle on a goal line play doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think if you're lining up in the shotgun, you've got to have options of going to the outside or throwing. And uh, that play was earmarked uh, up the middle. Saskatchewan defended it really well and did what they had to do to turn that ball over. Dwayne Ford famously says that creativity in goal line situations is what gets you touchdowns. We've had this discussion a number of times in the past where teams are now lining that seven or eight men on the line and, and just totally having everyone in the box and trying to sneak it up the middle. I mean, does it work? Yes. Is it the most effective? If everyone knows it's coming, the team can key on that. So I, I would like to see more creativity in, in the goal line play of the CFL. Is there a lack of quarterbacks that are willing or capable of doing that, though? I mean, I think we're all having fond memories of the days of Damon Allen and Tracy Ham and, and guys like that that were fleet-footed and would get to the outside. I mean, if you look at Winnipeg and Sean McGuire leading the league in rushing touchdowns, there's no trickery there. They line the ball up on the one-yard line and they hammer it at you. And McGuire's a big, solid quarterback. He's built like a running back back there. So it's a it's a ram that ball down your throat and hope you get across the line. Other than this goal line stand by the Rough Riders, there haven't really been a lot of successful stops on the goal line this year either. There's been a few, but not a lot. Cody Fajardo coming off of concussion protocol after the Winnipeg game. 21-31, 212 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. You look at the two quarterbacks and you'd think just on their stats alone that Arbuckle probably beat Fajardo. The difference in the game was the rushing. The Rough Riders finally got William Powell going. He had 122 yards and 21 carries. And in fact, Fajardo had another 58 on eight. That really changed the course of the game. And when you look at the final stats, the two teams are within about three yards of each other on total yardage. Just last week, we were talking about CFL teams not really sticking with the run. And I was happy to see the riders in this game stuck with the run. It seemed like William Powell would either have a big gain or get stuffed at the line fairly often too. And yet they persisted with it and it paid off. When you can run for 122 yards and keep the defense on their feet as not knowing whether it's going to be a pass or run, it opened things up. And we saw that in Fajardo being able to connect primarily with uh, Key and Schaefer Baker, but uh, there were other receivers as well. And, and having the run definitely makes the team have to play the run and stay in their area so they can't key on the receivers. A total of six punts in this game, which tells you that the offenses were moving at will. If you remember, Arbuckle coming out of training camp had a hamstring injury. And this week we're hearing word again that that hamstring injury is bothering him. It may have been a factor in that game in Regina on Friday night. At times, he looked like he was a little bit rushed in trying to make his decision, and it could be he was trying to protect that leg. I think the Argonauts have been in the East what Calgary has been in the West, and that's a bit of a 
a question mark as to the identity of that team. We knew that they had a lot of big name players that they signed uh, in the off season. Nick Arbuckle was coming in with quite a bit of buzz coming over from Calgary. He was going to get his chance to start working with Ryan Dinwiddie as the head coach. There was a lot of things that we thought were going to happen that we really haven't seen. You know, I, I think the win against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers was by far their best performance of the season. And other than that, I haven't seen anything that's been overly impressive with the Argonauts. Consistency is a beautiful thing when you have it. Let's go to Saturday, the early game in Montreal. The British Columbia Lions come in and defeat the Montreal Alouettes 27-18. And I believe that's the ninth time in the last 10 meetings that the Lions have defeated the Alouettes. Michael Riley, what a great game. 21-25, 308 yards, two touchdowns. A very solid performance for Michael Riley. Those questions we had early in the season about his arm are diminishing. He looks good. He looks comfortable. And once again, I know I kind of throw his name out there just about every week, it seems. But Lucky Whitehead has become a star with the BC Lions this year. Six targets, six receptions, 133 yards and a touchdown. That's the kind of guy that can turn a game around for you and uh, he's certainly done that a couple of times this year and this game against Montreal was no exception. Where Michael Riley really shone I thought was the fact that he was able to move the ball and when they struck downfield it was a timely opportunities. On the other side we contrast that with Vernon Adams who went 16 for 36 for 277 yards but but missed numerous long throws. It seemed like they always wanted to get the touchdown throw which the defense can sit on that. That's a very interesting point. It seemed to me when Montreal ran on first down that they were more prone to throw a short pass on second down. But if they were first and 10, Adams would check to his long read, it seemed like every time if he was throwing. And they were throwing 30 plus on first down time and time and time again. Those are low percentage passes to begin with. And if you don't make them, that puts you in second and 10, which then the defense can change what they want to do because now they're not worried about you running. He didn't get any favors from Eugene Lewis either. Lewis dropped a touchdown pass on him right at the goal line. There were moments that I felt that Adams was pressing. This team's a bit of an anomaly because every time they have a good game, we're expecting that they're going to be able to come out and continue with it. But it seems like their their play is very up and down. It's almost a case of which team's going to show up. The team that's on, making all the plays where they need to, or the team that just it seems to be reaching too hard or struggling too hard to make a big play as opposed to taking what the defense is giving you and moving down the field. It's almost like a, a lack of balance on their attack too. If you look at the numbers, William Stanback, at 18 carries for 139 yards. That's a 7.7 yard average. He had a great game. When the quarterback isn't accurate and the receivers are dropping passes, it's a drive killer. So as Don mentioned, even on the plays where they run on first down, Stanback was getting them positive yardage, and then they were doing nothing on those conversions uh, to keep a drive alive. How many times does a team go for 453 yards and not score a touchdown? They were in the game. This is the amazing part. They were in the game until midway through the fourth quarter. And then BC got the big touchdown to put themselves out of reach. That, I think, speaks to the leadership and the calmness of Michael Riley. Stepping up when he needed to, he 
had a had a solid game throughout, but when it was go time to secure that win, he led that offense to victory. Now, one thing that we learned from this football game, we know that uh, there was a change in defensive coordinators in British Columbia prior to the beginning of the season, and we thought that the head coach had actually taken over the portfolio. Campbell is not actually calling the plays. It's Ryan Phillips, who used to be a defensive back with the BC Lions, has been with the team for quite a few years. That's his defense that's making all the plays. And that secondary, I think, I would put them as the best secondary in the CFL. We do have to acknowledge that, that they played a struggling Montreal team in this one, and the game before was Ottawa. So I think the real test will be as they come back into divisional play against their divisional opponents, if they can continue to do it, I would I would venture to say that, yes, they could be one of the best in the league. I'm kind of of the belief that sometimes you make the other team look the way they do by what you do. So I wouldn't give them a Montreal pass and say that they just played poorly. I would say that BC made life miserable for them. And same with Ottawa as well. The final game of the weekend, the one that was going to be interesting because, of course, Trevor Harris is on the sixth game, the quarterback of the Edmonton Elks, and he was replaced by XFL alum Taylor Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, unlike Jake Mayer, doesn't start the game by throwing a bunch of picks. But he does wind up throwing three, two go for scores, and the Elks do fall 37-22 to to the Blue Bombers. Okay debut for Taylor Cornelius. He is a very strong-armed and, and big quarterback. Um, I think that bodes well for his future. But coming in against that Winnipeg defense is a pretty tall order. We saw Winnipeg come out firing on offense as well they got two touchdowns pretty quickly and if not for Tremaine Washington making a great interception in the end zone it was going to be very quickly 21 points for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers so Edmonton I think defensively did all that they could to try to keep them in the game and unfortunately Cornelius just didn't quite have enough to pull off the upset but they were I believe more competitive than a lot of people thought they were going to be Winnipeg's kicking struggles also left some points out there that could have changed the outcome of the game a little bit as well. Zach Claris goes 19 of 24 for 252 yards. By comparison, Taylor Cornelius, 19 of 33 for 243. The big difference, one pick by Claris, the one you mentioned in the end zone, three picks off the hands of Cornelius. And that really, I think, turned the game. James Wilder for the uh, Elks, did fairly well, 14 carries, 71 yards. Andrew Harris almost broke the century mark, 19 carries for 97. Yeah, here we've got two teams that continue to um, show the running game. Um, just in the week we talked about the running game not doing so well, but uh, teams did step up towards the running game, and I think we need to do that as the weather turns a little bit. Uh, in this case, James Wilder certainly impressed me. The two touchdowns, you could tell he was running with authority when he did have the ball, and I think he helped Cornelius out in that sense. I think the difference between two starting quarterbacks like Watford and Cornelius is certainly that ball control. Had Cornelius not made those turnovers, this could have been a much different game. And I thought Edmonton played fairly well against a tough Winnipeg team. The two teams combined for almost 750 yards of total offense, and there's only one yard between them in their total stats. Let's say that Cornelius does well through this. Maybe doesn't win every game, but does well. Do you go back to Harris because 
that's your guy and he's going to have to be the guy to get you to the playoffs? Or do you stick with Cornelius and say, we're talking about the future here. Maybe we should move on because let's face it. I mean, Trevor Harris is 35. I think in this case, it's going to depend upon where Edmonton is after the six weeks. Uh, If Edmonton is still in a playoff hunt and has the opportunity to do well, then I think you do go back to the veteran presence and potentially open it up again next year for competition in the camp if, if Harris can't show up in the playoffs. And again, I guess the other side would be if he's six weeks out and Cornelius continues to grow and develop, then then maybe it is his chance to try taking it through to the end of the season, particularly if they're not in a tight playoff race at that point, which I don't think they will be. In some ways, similar situation to what the Calgary Stampeders are facing. You've got both teams with a veteran quarterback trying to overcome some injuries both teams have kind of struggled. They're in a bit of a race to the bottom right now, which surprises, I think, just about everybody in the CFL. And you've got two new quarterbacks that have come in. Uh, Now, the sample size for Cornelius is very small. He's only had the one game, but they both look quite capable. So it's going to be really interesting to see what both teams end up doing. And as wins continue to slip away for both of them it's going to come into that situation where is it worth putting that veteran guy at risk if we're likely not going to make the playoffs or is it time to see what the future might look like the thing that i think helps cornelius is that jamie elizondo had a lot of time with him with tampa bay of the xfl they often talk about how it's who you know that gets you a pro job and in this case Where's the affinity for Elizondo? That that would be, a, I think, a valid question. Um, it was interesting following some social media during this game as well. Um, Ali Mortada came in as the field goal kicker for Winnipeg as Mark Leggio continued to struggle. Mortado said in some press earlier in the week that his range was 60 to 63 yards. He went 0 for 3, missing from 28, 51, and 44. Michael O'Shea has said that he, even though he went 0 for 3, there were some positives to it. He made his converts on the touchdowns and all three of those field goals were missed wide to the right. So what's the time frame on allowing a kicker to develop in Winnipeg? I mean, at this point, they've had one game come down to a last second field goal. If not for a penalty flag, it would have been a miss. They got a do-over and they got the winning kick, but they're on the season now, 8 of 16 for field goals. They've missed a handful of extra points as well. So that's a lot of points that they're leaving out there. As Winnipeg continues to roll through the wins, at some point the kicking game is going to catch up to them. It just has to. The question that I asked off the top of the show was, what do the Elks, the Owls, and the Red Blacks have in common? And the answer is, none of them have won at home yet. Second down. CFL has brought out an interesting simulation where they look at the projections of the teams as they appear now and then sort of hypothesize where will they actually finish. And there's some interesting little problems that have come up. Now, Winnipeg going to the playoffs, yeah, they're pretty much a a lock at 99%. The Ottawa Red Blacks odds of making the playoffs are higher than the Calgary Stampeders. Now, partly it's a four-division four-team division, five-team division thing is is playing against the Stampeders, but I still think that's interesting that there's more faith in the Red Blacks winning than there is the Stampeders at this point. I think that speaks volumes to the struggles of some of the other teams in the East. 
Montreal certain, certainly isn't as strong as we had anticipated they were going to be. Now Hamilton is on their third starting quarterback of the year. So it's not going to take a lot to get the Red Blacks back into the playoff picture. If they knock off a couple of these teams that are struggling a little bit right now, they're suddenly right back there. So I would still bet against the Red Blacks making the playoffs and grabbing that third spot in the East. But it, like I said, it doesn't take too much if they get some confidence going and Dominic Davis can spark that team a little bit. They're right back in it. The odds to win the West, Winnipeg is at 66.45%. BC is second at 25.93. And then it just, the floor comes right out. Saskatchewan at almost six. Edmonton at barely two or not even two. And Calgary at a number so minuscule, it's not worth repeating. That boggles my mind. Now you go to the East and it's far more compressed. Ticats at 42 and three quarter percent, the Argos at 31 and the Alouettes at 19. A little bit tighter and then Ottawa down there by themselves, but even still at a better rate than the Elks, the Rough Riders or the Stampeders at almost 7% to make the playoffs. So it's just interesting. I love this sort of stuff because they do actually crunch numbers. It's not like somebody threw a dart and hit a board and said, oh, look, that's what's going to happen. It is obviously based on what have they done lately. When you take a look at the trends, the riders coming up against Winnipeg twice, uh, I can see why they're potentially below BC. BC looks like with with wins in the last three games, looks like they're really coming on strong. So uh, at this point in time, it's kind of interesting to play that out and see what happens. You've got to take into account the tiebreaker situations as well, right? So Winnipeg won both games against Saskatchewan this year. So in order for Saskatchewan to win the West, they have to not only catch the Bombers, who they're behind by a couple of wins right now, but actually leapfrog them in the standings. The BC Lions, there are games left against both Winnipeg and Saskatchewan for them. So we don't know where those season series end up yet. If the BC Lions can go in and knock off Winnipeg, suddenly that changes the scenario. So I think that's why you've got the Lions with still a 26% chance and then, as Don said, the, the floor kind of falls out and the Rough Riders are quite a bit further down. Week 8 starts on a Wednesday. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are in Ottawa. Hamilton is minus 10.5 with an over-under of 41.5. These odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them for that. This is sort of that same dilemma we had with Winnipeg and Edmonton last week where the over-under was low, and that means that for Hamilton to win by 11 points, there's not a lot of room to do it. In this case, I think it's more acute because David Watford leading that Hamilton offense, you don't expect them to post 30 points. Well, this is where I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. You look at season statistics and how many wins a poor team gets in a season. And for Ottawa to go the rest of the season and only have one win, in my mind, is unlikely. And this, to me, is that kind of perfect storm where I think Ottawa pulls off the upset. They're at home. They're going against a third-string quarterback. They've had some time off to recollect, readjust, and refocus. And I'm stating for the record that my pickums haven't been great, but they're okay. And this is the one that I have marked as the upset of the week that the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to knock off Hamilton. It's going to be a tight game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to a Lewis Ward field goal late in the fourth quarter, but this is going to be the 
second win of the season for the Red Blacks. The Red Blacks last played on September the 11th. The Tiger Cats last played on the 17th. Now, Orlando Steinauer, coach of the Ticats, has made no bones about it that Ottawa has had nothing to do but study the Ticats for almost two weeks, while the Ticats have had to play Calgary in the interim. Is it an unfair advantage? Well, that's life with the buys in the CFL. You're always going to be facing that. It is a short-ish week for the Tiger Cats to play this game. You would think that that would favor the Red Blacks. And you also wonder, too, after what happened in British Columbia, what kind of changes that the Red Blacks are going to be making on offense to get something going. I think this is a case of Orlando Steinauer reminding his team that you can't let your guard down against any teams in the CFL. I don't think he th- that Ottawa will win this week. I would take the other stance. I-, I do think that they have had a longer time to prepare and that that may bode well for them. It could potentially be closer than we've seen Ottawa in the past few weeks. But to me, they've still struggled, and I don't see that turning around even with the bye week to, to progress. There's a point for everybody this season where the schedule isn't in their favor. I don't think with what the league has had to overcome to get a season going there's a way to do it that everybody's going to be happy now we've talked about how big of a challenge it has gotten now for the Edmonton Elks given that they had to postpone a game due to COVID they definitely have the toughest schedule but everybody else has something that they don't like if if Hamilton can get through this one as the game that they don't like the way the schedule fell and get the win then uh, kudos to them and I think you're right uh, Orlando Steinhauer has to get, keep the team focused and try to use that adversity as inspiration to not take Ottawa too lightly. The Red Blacks last week signed a quarterback, Devlin Hodges, to a three-year deal, which means they're putting some faith into him. Now, he had some playing time with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the National Football League. He won't be ready for this game, but he may be dressed. It's entirely within the realm of possibility. That really then begs of the question, what do you do with the other quarterback that's on that roster, Matt Nichols? Does he have a home there anymore or not if Ottawa is already looking to long-term deals with other quarterbacks? To be able to let an experienced quarterback go is a big step. So there's got to be a lot of potential to be shown by this young man. And if he's able to do that, then I think you could see Ottawa jettison Nichols. Experienced quarterback aside, Nichols has done nothing with the Ottawa offense. One touchdown drive in 43 drives that he had when he was in charge, that's just not going to cut it. And I don't think you have to be that wedded to him given that. But understand that an experienced quarterback still does bring a lot to the table in terms of knowing what the opposing defenses are bringing, being able to talk to a, a younger quarterback who maybe hasn't been on the field as often. So I think he brings at least that experience. If he hasn't been able to physically do what he's been asked to do on the field, maybe he can at least bring the experience and knowledge of the game, which Hodge would not do. Do you keep a roster spot for that, or do you make him a quarterback's coach? This is the challenge with the way they've got the quarterback rosters in the CFL now, where you can only dress two per game. And Don, I think you're 100% right. How much can you continue to have invested in Matt Nichols as your backup quarterback how much are you paying him to stand on those sidelines and dress for a game where if he gets called into emergency duty you're not even sure he can throw the ball more than 30 yards so it might be the end of the Matt Nichols era as a CFL quarterback 
unless he has some amazing rehab on that throwing shoulder and can get a lot better. But um, he was never known as that strong arm quarterback to begin with. So once he loses a little bit of that velocity, it's a really tough situation for him to get back into, uh, I think, a, a starting role for sure. And at this point, even a backup role. So Ottawa, 10.5 underdogs. Do you think that they would cover or do you think they not only cover, but win? Well, I, like I said, I'm picking them to to win outright. This is the uh, upset of the week. It might be the only the only other win that Ottawa gets. I haven't really looked too closely at the rest of their schedule, but I just I don't see a team going one and thirteen. So this is the one that they're going to pick up their second win. I think Hamilton will cover this, and I think they're going to do so on the strength of their defense. I think that they have an incredible defense. They're going to step up. Dominic Davis has struggled some with with ball control and and making sure that they don't have turnovers and and I think the defense should be able to step up and take the ball away a few times give it back to Watford and if they can play that controlled offense we saw this past week I think they can get this game I really have no feel for this other let's just say that Ottawa covers but Hamilton wins there we've played all three scenarios now so (laughs) somebody's gonna be happy about this one on Friday night two days later we have the Montreal Alouettes in Toronto to take on the Argonauts now we've already mentioned that Nick Arbuckle was limited at practice because of his hamstring Montreal Alouettes signed a quarterback this week Shea Patterson picked up from the BC Lions he was on their roster for the first five weeks of the season I don't know if that's of interest to Vernon Adams or is Matthew Schiltz more curious about this signing Alouettes go into this game as plus 0.5 with an over-under of 50.5. So there's clearly a more emphasis on offense in this game. Toronto at home has done fairly well, this year especially. I kind of agree with the over-under. I think this could be a shootout because you do have offenses that can light it up when they want to. It's really, to me, a question of which defense maybe gets a turnover that changes the game. And one little bit of news on Toronto's defensive side is Chris Jones has officially joined the Toronto Argonauts coaching staff as a defensive coach. Uh, They haven't named him defensive coordinator at this point, but it's hard to believe that he won't have his finger all over the play calling in that Toronto defense. So what does he bring to the table uh, to give Vernon Adams a different look from that Toronto defense? Cameron Judge injured his ankle early in the game against Saskatchewan. He probably is not available. That is going to mean some juggling with the ratio on defense for the Argonauts, and that's going to hurt. Do think that you're going to see signs of the Jones influence coming into this game. That could bode well for Vernon Adams, or it could go really bad for Vernon Adams. He's the kind of quarterback that can sometimes thrive getting out of the pocket, scrambling a little bit and throwing on the run as long as he doesn't try to force the issue. So that's the key in my mind is can Toronto contain him uh, while putting pressure on him or are they going to allow him to escape and work some magic? The one thing that Adams has this week is Kahari Jones will be back on the sidelines. He's passed all his COVID tests and he's now cleared to be back with the team. I don't know how much of an impact that had against BC, but I do believe there was some because there's a lot of communication that goes on between Adams Jr. and Jones during a football game. And Jones is a similar type of quarterback in his day that Adams is now. He was a gambler. He liked to throw the ball down the field. Well, it's a high-risk way of approaching the game. 
it's little wonder that we see the Alouettes spike at 50 and then come down to 15. It, it, they live and die by that approach. You need somebody to kind of soothe the waves, and I think Kahari Jones is the, is the guy that does it for Vernon Adams Jr. I think that will have a big impact on, on Adams' performance this week. I think I would expect to see this be a shootout, to be honest. I think that the Toronto defense, uh, while they're very good, and I think Chris Jones will bring that, they're, they're fairly new coming into Chris Jones's philosophy, and I think Adams should be able to make some big plays. I do see this as being a shootout, regardless of whether Arbuckle's ready to go or we see Bethel Thompson in. Uh, the team does like the throw, and I would expect this would be a fairly wide game. I think we'll go over on this one, and I'm going to say this one goes to Montreal. I would say over the 50 and a half as well, but I'm taking Toronto to win this one all right. This is going to be a game that the scoreboard is going to run out of bulbs, and... I think Toronto at home. I just, I have trouble getting away from that. The final game, and it's a short week with only three games, and by Friday night we're going to be done. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are in British Columbia to take on the Lions. This is the last time that the Rough Riders and the Lions play. The Riders have a plus four in the plus minus in terms of scoring from their first game of the season, 33-29, back in Regina. Something to be aware of, Jamie Elizondo. If the Lions win this game and win that season series, Saskatchewan's going to be an even tougher when you think that three-quarters of the remaining games are on the road. The Riders are plus 1.0 and an over-under of 42.5. Again, a little bit lower. In my mind, I'm taking the over 42.5. I think what we've seen from Michael Riley all season, especially... You know, the last three games that he's started, he's been able to move the ball and BC has scored some points. Cody Fajardo struggled mightily against Winnipeg in that back-to-back series, but he seems to have bounced back in the last game. Um, you know, I think 42.5 is low for these two teams, and I'm giving the edge to the home team in this one as well. I'm picking the BC Lions for the win. I do think this game is going to be a game that comes down to a few plays. And I think where BC may have the edge right now is Saskatchewan's defense seems to be um, missing some key players at, in certain positions. And I'm talking about the defensive backfield in particular. We saw Campbell struggle a lot on the corner. Saskatchewan's taking a look at moving Purifoy around to counter that. But when you have uh, some players like Whitehead and Burnham, who do you cover? I think it's going to be quite difficult for them to cover. And I... I I'd like to say Saskatchewan, if they can get the run going, may have an opportunity to win this game, but I think BC will take it. Plus one, eh, whatever. That's kind of a pick em to me. The biggest problem that I have with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is that the defense is giving up a lot of yards passing. When you're coming up against an offense that averages 299 yards a game in passing, so this is going to be where that defensive backfield comes into play. And what about pool tracker, Heath? So this week we saw a little bit of movement at the top of the board again. Uh, Dini 13 has taken control with a two-point lead in first place. CFL America in second and myself, Snack Bites Pete, is in third. So there are four points separating first through third and 16 points overall from Dini 13 to Kuda Man, who is currently sitting in the basement. Third down. 
So if you followed along with our picks last week, you found out again why I'm brutal at this. I have to thank Snack Bites Pete for finishing below me in our little pool on DraftKings. I think this is the only time I've finished in front of both of you this year. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up this week. Let's start with uh, quarterbacks and running backs. Let's go, Pat. Give me yours. This week, I'm going to think he's having a bounce back game. So I picked Vernon Adams as my quarterback, and I am going to take William Powell coming up against the uh, ninth-ranked team against running. I am taking Mr. Steady Michael Riley from the BC Lions this week at quarterback at 9,200. I think he's consistently putting up points and has a an offense that uh, is quite capable of helping him along. Running back, I currently have Sean Thomas Erlington. I did see a note just about two hours ago that he is a game time decision for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I've left a little bit of wiggle room there, so I might be leaning towards William Powell by the time this is all said and done, but uh, hopefully... Thomas Erlington is ready to go. We're recording on Tuesday. And as of Tuesday, I'm going with Vernon Adams Jr. Look at his stats this year, and it seems like when he's on the road, that's when he goes off. The only game he didn't really do that was in Calgary. Otherwise, he lit up Edmonton and he lit up Ottawa. The running back I have is from the same game, John White IV from the Toronto Argonauts. A little bit of a money crunch situation when it came to that. Receivers. Pat? This week I'm going with Ricky Collins Jr. from Toronto. I think he should be able to be another big game, or at least I'm hoping. And uh, it's hard not to pick Lucky Whitehead these days, so I am absolutely going to take Lucky Whitehead. I think he can have another big game here. It's going to be a close contest between you and me here pat because my wide receiver lineup looks identical to yours and in that order ricky collins jr toronto argonauts and mr excitement lucky whitehead for the bc lions i'm going to be the outlier here i've got eugene lewis from the montreal alouettes figuring that he's going to have to have a bounce back game and the opposition defense is ranked seventh and i've also Got um, Ryan Davis from the Red Blacks. It's the only player that I've picked up from that Ottawa-Hamilton game. Without Brandon Banks being available, there's not a lot there that I'm really comfortable with. Flex. I'm going with uh, Eugene Lewis, actually, as one of my flex players as well. I, I think he'll have a big week in Montreal. I'm going to try to stack him with Vernon Adams Jr. And then I've picked up Pappy White with Hamilton. He's at $3,100, but I think he'll be a good value pick. From the Toronto Argonauts, John White the fourth at 8100, and I believe this might be my first Ottawa Red Blacks pickup of the season. I am going with R.J. Harris of the Red Blacks for 6500. Hmm, that's interesting. Devaris Daniels with the Argonauts defense is going to be the big dictator in that puppy. Lucky Whitehead. I can't believe that Lucky Whitehead is valued so low, considering what he's been doing. 6800. That to me is a bargain. Like, how do you not pick him? It seems like a steal. I agree with the way Michael Riley's been finding him the ball. And he can also run a sweep and they have been using him on some kick returns as well. 68 seems like exceptional low value for somebody that can put up those kind of fantasy points. Well, particularly when you have his teammate um, Burnham sitting at $9,800. I think Lucky Whitehead is certainly uh, going to have more points than Burnham and yet that much cheaper. Consistently game in and game out this season, 
Lucky Whitehead has outperformed him for sure. There must be a lot of looking back at what their career has been. In Brian Burnham's case, you can't be faulted for saying this guy is amazing and 9,800 is fair. But if you look at his season this year, I don't know that he's more valuable than Lucky Whitehead. And Burnham is a little bit questionable for playing on Friday night. He'll probably be there, but he's got a leg injury. Defense, Pat. For defense, I went with Hamilton this week. It's hard not to against Ottawa. Heath. Well, as we said, I finished dead last in last week's pool. So um, either I'm doing that again or I'm climbing the ladder. So I'm taking a swing here and taking for 3,600 the Ottawa Red Blacks defense. I think against a third string quarterback, they might have some opportunity to uh, pick up some fantasy points here. And as I said, I'm I'm picking them to win outright. So I've got to got to ride that and, and see where it gets me. If you look at the Calgary Stampeders defense last week, the only th- points that they didn't get were turnover points. Otherwise, they held Hamilton very much in check. Having said that, I'm going with the Lions against the Rough Riders. If William Powell goes off, I'm doomed. If he doesn't and the Lions do what they did to Montreal, to Saskatchewan, I think that there's going to be a few picks in that game. And if there's pick sixes, you know what that means for stats. Final thoughts. A Wednesday game. Can it get better than that? Well, we're going to have football on every day of the week at some point this season. So um, I'm looking forward to a Wednesday. I think it's a a really different look and uh, kind of gets you excited for the weekend. And then a Friday night doubleheader. Like you said, it's, it's all over by late Friday night. And we get a chance to catch our breath before five games coming up in the following week. I'm going to wonder what I'm going to do on Saturday with no games there, but uh, definitely looking forward to a few evenings of football. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.